0: You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast.
1: Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. <laughs> hi so today we have with us meena aurora naik who's uh, done the panchatantra of Vish- vishnu sharma she's uh, done a retelling of it and um, it's quite wonderful hi meena how
0: are you Hi, manjula hello everybody so nice to be here and thank you for inviting me
1: right so meena
0: This is quite. It's quite
1: a feat. I mean, the Panchatantra is like one of those ancient texts that we are familiar with. You know, when we are children, like you've mentioned in the book. Nowadays, adults have sort of kind of lost touch with it, sadly. But uh, you know, it's one of those. Like when I was like reading this, your retelling of it, I was thinking, wow, it's like so. It's not a simplistic text, like you know and it's got so many layers and it's it's complex so tell me about how you decided to do this you know to do this retelling new
0: i think i've been thinking about the panch tantra for many many years i mean as, as you mentioned it it's it's literally bedtime stories that we used to tell our children or not even bedtime stories just just tales to tell children about how to do things or how to behave, because it's really a, a text about human behaviors, right? About being human. We're human. We make this choice. We're human. We we make this error. We we human. We err on this thing. We're human. Then we make up or we receive good advice from somebody. It's about that. I'm sure, Majla, you remember growing up, you were told these tales. Parents, dad, everybody seemed to know these tales, even if they were little, they were still they still knew these. They were educated about this, these stories, not not knowing that these actually came from you know a, a, this compiled text called the Panchatantra. And so in this way, so I've been thinking because I've been doing a lot of my field, my my field of expertise is ancient Indian literatures. So when you think about ancient Indian literatures, which you know all the way from the Vedic literatures to the Purans, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because all ancient literatures are actually uh, a combination of myth and folklore. There's a lot of so this is the, we can call this a folklorish text, right? It has some elements of myth in it so uh, since my field is is my field of expertise is ancient indian literatures how could i not have thought of the Panchatantra? Yeah. so panchitantra has been a part of my thinking from the time that i've been working with ancient literatures at the back of my mind not realizing that at some point i'm actually going to want to do this whole thing by itself so Panchi Tantra has always been there in in my mind and then when it came time it was it finally was time when i was actually doing these various other books and taking stories from the Panchi Tantra and then it was time. There's always a time when you have to write a book. And I said, okay, that's it. I have to write this book. I have to retell this one now. Because I've taken so many pieces out of it. It's time to go over to, to, to do the whole thing.
1: Mm. But I, I also mean, you know, why not the Jataka tales or the, you know, Katasarit Sarit Sagar, or, you know, something like that. Because there are lots of these compilations. So what is it right. that attracted you to this one? You know, because the Panchatantra is different in a sense.
0: So. oh absolutely so that's a really th- thank you for asking that actually so my last book was actually a book of animal tales yes. which was conceived in, in, separate from the Panchantra. actually i wasn't even thinking about the Panchantra when i conceived that that was louis Borhe was a writer who used to who actually did a wonderful book oh, in his one of his in his lifetime about um these marvelous creatures you know fascinating creatures that that are just across cultures and so I wanted to do a book of fascinating, marvelous creatures that came out to be just, you know, animals from from our culture. In various forms and shapes and various uh, and how they are significant for our culture and for the furtherance of our understanding of humanness, basically. So I did. It was called Adbhut. It came out last year and I love doing it. I love doing it so much. And then even as I was writing it, I was talking about the Panch like in the introduction in my head. The Panch Tantra is an allegory of humanness, basically the animal tales. But they're not really just animal tales. They're not, it's not literally just a story about a cat and a dog. Mm -hmm. The cat and the dog are actually allegories of human behaviors. And so uh, it's... That, that's where the complexity comes in. so even as I was writing Adbud, which was a whole different genre of storytelling there was a literally how the animals pro, a, instill all our stories with a different kind of significance with the, with the zoomorphic uh, elements. Mm-hmm. so um the point of time, animals are not zoomorphic. there are actually humans yes. who are wearing the mask of animals yes. but interestingly it also has a, it has parallel worlds it has the human world where these animals are acting as though they are humans. And then there's the animal world, where the animals are acting as though they are animals. So a lion is human as well as a lion. So he's the king of his forest. But he's also all the elements of, he has all the elements of a human. He's lofty and he's snooty and he's he's arrogant and he's, you know, oppressive. So he's got these human factors in him. Hence, when I was writing Adbhut, I, at that time, I was in my head, I was thinking the next book has to be Panchatantra. It's the perfect lead on. And so that's why. So it literally came from Adbhut. It, it, I mean, it came to the forefront of my mind. It's always been there. It came to the forefront of my mind. It's like, OK, now it's time for Panchatantra. As I mentioned, you know, there's a time when a book has to be written. The book literally says, OK, now I need to be written, I think, in my head. So that's when you sit down and say, OK, you know what? there's no escaping it i've got to write it.
1: <laughs> okay okay so you you know in the introduction you you talk about the emboxment of the stories you know so let's talk
0: about yes. that how the stories are framed yes. in the panchatantra okay inboxing tales is actually a very ancient indian tradition um one of the best examples i can give is the mahabharat it's what it means really is that there's a frame story And then within the frame story, there are various and and there are themes within the frame story. So let's say, let's take the Pantantra, for example. The first, the first Tantra is is Mitrabhyan, means the separation of friends or losing of friends, right? And the frame story is of a line, a friendship between a lion and a bull. Really, really deep friendship they form. And there's a jackal called Damnak who wants to break up this friendship because by being friends with the bull, the lion has forgotten about his other, is his, I should say, his followers and his other associates and is just concentrating on the bull. The bull is a grass eater. The lion is a meat eater. So the jackal wants to break it up because he thinks this is against the laws of nature and, of course, for his own selfishness. Reasons, right that's the frame story so now within this are various themes there are themes of this or this juxtaposition of wealth the rich and poor social status king follower these juxtapositions of opposites so that's one theme greed is another theme selfishness is another theme so these so each of these themes kind of it, it kind of branches off into other stories and then they come back they circle back to the frame story so these are inboxments so one story leads to another story to another story to another story and then it circles back to the frame story so it's and then within the branching itself there can be more branching so one theme let's say the theme of selfishness can become can branch into other stories of, of people acting in different ways and then there's a whole other inbox So it's a box within a box within a box. It's a very ancient Indian tradition. So like I said, the Mahabharata is the perfect example of it. The Mahabharata, as you know, is huge. And it's all stories within stories within stories within stories. You can lose track of the original frame story, but Nine times out of 10, the the, the, the branching off at the, the branches come back to the original main, main trunk of the tree. Nice. So you come back to the frame and it's like, ah, oh, that's where I started. <laughs> that's that's what the embossment is, is really. Yes. So
1: let's talk about, you know, like like I was saying, when I was reading the bo- uh, book, you know, I attempted at first to read all the stories like one after the other. And I actually got a bit Disoriented, like dizzy, <laughs> and then I decided to try another approach, just pick into you know, dip into it in and out in different parts, and that was equally rewarding and less, uh, less, dizzy making actually.
0: So, absolutely, so, so <laughs> A less, less oppressive on the mind out, oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you, and I, um. I think that the Panchatantra and books such as the Tantra are mood books, basically. So the Panchatantra has almost every single, every single human behavior foible, aspect of being human the humanness it's literally a not just one human being it's various human beings who have these various characteristics right each human being is is made of these various characteristics so basically what you try to read is you try to read all of humanity at one go not just one person but all of humanity because it literally covers characteristics of all of all humanness right Mm -hmm. everything everything that means humanness so that's why i think books like the pantendra mood books today I'm in the mood of reading about friendship so let me pick up some themes about friendship today oh my god today I need to make choices what can I read to make give me a few stories that will tell me about choices so then you read just the theme of choices and there's wonderful. So there are all kinds of stories based on these so your themes. So you pick up a thematic element of the day and just read the stories related to that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, that's why these books have lasted forever. I mean, the book was first compiled, let's say, and we don't know the exact date, but because the original is lost. But scholars say that probably 300 BCE. And since then... It's been translated 200 times into in 200 different in 50 different languages. It's lived like these literally these these centuries for this reason that it is relevant for every single mood that a person has at any point in life, starting from childhood to old age. And so that's the reason why they it's it's lived so long and it'll continue living long past you and I are dead.
1: Mm-hmm. and you know i mean while i was reading uh some of the stories like the the story of the two-headed bird you know and i was thinking gosh this is so much it it makes you think about you know things like You know, your struggle with yourself. And basically, that's what it is. It's not just the two headed bird, right? It's about the internal uh, struggles that an individual often has and how it can be self destructive, right? So, that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, you know, and, and to think that ancients were having the same sort of issues. You know, it's like really maybe that's what because these that's why what makes these stories eternal. You think that we can and in every age and in every era, you're looking at them and you're drawing meaning from them. So,
0: oh, well, absolutely, no, absolutely. So it's the you know as as in, in in Western cultures they would say the good angel and the bad angel. The Burunda words are the good angel, the bad angel. Should I make this choice? Or should I make, should I eat chocolate today? Or should I eat salad today? (laughs) So it's literally that kind of, you know, one head is saying, "Oh, oh, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And then you know, salad, the other head is saying, "Oh no, 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 Mina, that's like really like you know, it's gonna it's it's gonna add ten more pounds." so Salad, salad, salad. So it's I mean, the Vrunda is actually a fantastic story you you yeah. picked up, That's that's actually from from it's a borrowed tale from two Upanishads, Mundak and Chandogya. Mm. So it's it, originally in the Upanishads. It's about the the lower self, the self, the humanness mm. and the higher self, the eternal self. Mm. So it's it's a it's a dialogue between the eternal self and the, you know the self that is related to the nothingness of the world and the human self the mina self the conversation about what to do you know hmm. uh, the realized mina or the unrealized mina which is what most of us are really like the realized mandala and the other you know the Manjula who wants to eat chocolate and the Manjula who wants to eat salad I, it's one of my favorite stories so thank you for, for giving that example yeah
1: and and I'm saying even that story of the uh, the blind man and the hunchback uh, and the woman and I was, at first when I read it in the, the the woman with the three breasts and I was thinking like you know when I was reading it I was thinking this man, her father like kind of sequestered her somewhere and it's terrible like it sounds awful <laughs> domestic abuse <laughs> of your daughter you know. <laughs> And then it morphs into kind of like a comic tale. And in the end, it's actually quite comic when everything becomes all right out of... And this, <laughs> she loses her third breast and the hunchback becomes all right. The blind man can see. <laughs> so there's
0: there's a lack of... Uh, or there's an absence of,
1: you know... this. It's uh,
0: impetuous action. Actually, it comes from impetuous. It's the last mantra of the karakam. Pan- yeah, which means impetuous actions, like you know, they're taking without without thinking, which we do all the time, really. Um, you know, impulsive behavior. And so you're absolutely right. They do everything on an impulse, right? Let me kill this guy. So it's really like the, the tale is about just just briefly, just for, for for our listeners, the tale is briefly about a girl who's born with three breasts and her father can't look at her because the the astrologers tell him that if you look if if you look upon such a child, or such a child looks upon you, it's bad luck all around. So he sequesters her, he puts her away all her life he never sees her and then finally now she's of marriageable age what, what what does he do with her right this king so what he does is what he makes an so the astrologers tell him if she marries if she if she's married and sent away far away without you ever looking at her face you know then you'll be completely safe so he makes an announcement says well, whoever wants to marry this unlucky three-breasted girl you know is i'm going to give so much money take her away just take her away from this kingdom so one hunchback and his friend who are completely there? They're there. um have no money at all whatsoever, and have no luck, and then have no expectations in life. They decide, hey, you know what? If I'm going to die, I might as well die rich, right? He's going to give me the That's wealth. True. Let me die rich. That's I'm going to. If she's unlucky, and I'm going to let me let me do it. And so um they um so he so he marries the hunchback, marries her, and they no, go the to blind a blind man marries her. <laughs> does not the blind <laughs> and, man marry her? I, I think it's the hunchback that marries her, and the blind man is the is a lover. Oh no no no! It's the blind man who marries her. Right right That's right, right, right. so I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of another hunchback story, which is actually from a Jataka. You're absolutely right. The blind man marries her. The hunchback is his friend, absolutely. And then um and then he's and then she takes the so she takes the hunchback as a lover. So while the blind man is out, you know, getting food together, she and the hunchback are happily having an affair. And he, now they want to kill him. They want to kill the blind man. So they cook, they cook snake meat to feed him so that he'll eat it and die. And so, but um, he smells it and he knows it's make, snake meat. He smells the meat. The blind man smells it and he comes in and he sees his wife and the hunchback having. He's, so, oh, my God, am I losing the story? And so anyway, so at the end of it, what happens is he picks up the hunchback and flings him across the bed. He's so mad. No, no, no. Oh, he's the, the blind man because the snake poison actually cures his eyes. That's what happens. So the sna- the fumes that arise from the pot, because it's it's they are so noxious that yeah. they actually work in the reverse and they and he, his eyes get fixed so he can see. And he walks towards... <laughs> And he sees his wife and his hunchback friend in bed together. So he's so mad that he picks up the hunchback fr- friend by the feet and he flings him up on the bed. And he, the hunchback, falls against the woman. Her third breast disappears. It's pushed back into her body. The hunchback loses his hunch, and the, and the three of them become so. After. <laughs> So basically, sometimes impulsive actions work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a very, you're right. It's a very interesting tale. It's like extremely funny. It starts off, you're right. It starts off misogynist, right? Yeah. Like you put away a girl who's got three breasts. She's born because of no fault of her own. And then it becomes really, really funny at the end. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's an interesting tale. Funny that you picked that out. Yes.
1: And also, I thought that, you know, it's so, um, it's I mean, many of the stories, like sometimes in these allegories, you know, they tend to be very moralistic and, uh, you know, and say that, oh, you should be like this and you should be like that. And this is immoral. And that's a sin. Here, there's nothing like that. It's kind of uh, I mean, it might make comments about, you know, how women are unfaithful, but it also says that women are smart. You know, it also suggests that women are much smarter. So, I mean, there's no, there isn't any, like, behavioral uh, you know, injunctions going out there, you know. It's, it's yeah. kind of very liberal in that sense. So, you know, how come, like, how is it? How is that a part of it? It's, you know, I would think that an ancient text would be out to, like, you know, or maybe that's just one's, uh,
0: View. no no you're absolutely right a lot of ancient texts actually are where there's a lot of misogyny going on in ancient texts the katasarit sagar you mentioned there's a whole you know many many stories are uh, you know and it's it, it was part of culture so it's not a comment on society or today's society it's a, it's not even a comment on on ancient society it was that the, the culture right. was it was the, the most of the these the storytellers were tell literally telling tales of what the culture was about they were not make the, and yes it was a comment on society but it was not a denouncement of society so to say and so the punch on the other hand is not at all concerned with morality yes. it doesn't talk about this is right and this is wrong at all None of the stories are judgmental. Yes. yes. Right. They they don't tell you they don't they don't tell you how to behave. Yes. They only show you what behavior is like. Yes. Right. So you make your own, you know, you make your own morals out of it. You make your own judgments. You see, yes. you take what is right for you and or wrong for you, by, for that matter. And you, you know, you discern between the two. That's up to you and your upbringing and your sense of morality. The Pantantra is not at all concerned with morality, which is probably one of its biggest feats and which is one of its biggest selling points. Do you know what's interesting? So this, you bring this up, something came to mind. What's interesting is that it's translated. And so many, as I mentioned you across the world, it was like from the very beginning of its, As soon as it got written, it, it was translated. And various cultures have put their own moral spins on the story. So on all the on various stories, like I'll give you a very very good example. So the first first um, uh, tantra, the Mitrabe, the you know the, the division of friends. The, the jackal I mentioned at the beginning, Damnak, who separates the bull and the lion because he thinks it's morally wrong to to use um, air codes for morally. But basically, it's his own selfish reasons that, you know, that the bull cannot become friends with lions because of the grass eating, uh, the juxtaposition between the two complete varied species. Right. So to speak. OK. Panchantra does not punish Damnak at all. He does a terrible thing because the bull and the and the lion fight it out basically the bull dies at the end of a terrible they have a terrible battle so he makes them enemies first he brings he 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 makes them bitter enemies and then they have a a com. they are in combat and the bull of course uh, dies and the lion feels terrible i mean there's actually in the in the story this he feels terrible that he's killed his best friend and how, you know, why did he do this? And Damnak comes to him and says, you're a king, you know, stop feeling bad for what you've done. You did the right thing. And he, the ja lion, you know, throws off this regret and, and moves on with life and becomes happy again, immediately, almost immediately. There's no moral judgment passed on the line in the versions that we have in India. Most of the versions, I want to say. However, in England now, the, the English version of it, Damnak is actually punished. So he is, you know, he's, he's skinned alive. It's like all kinds of things happen to him. His friend, Kartak, who keeps telling him not to do it. He has a jackal friend who, who tells him he's what he's doing is wrong. He, t- and he, he dies. So Damnak is imprisoned and ultimately dies, ultimately dies in prison. And, um, Kartak, his friend, who actually advises him not to do it, also dies because he's so scared that somebody's going to find out that he was party to to this, to, to creating this division between the king and his friend. So everybody's punished for bringing about the death, the other the the death of this innocent bull. So there's a moral, there's moral judgment there. And so various versions actually put their own spin of morality depending on which culture. The, the translation occurred in. so but the pantantras the Indian versions of the pantantra, most of them do not have morality. it literally is about how humans are. It's a mirror it's like a mirror holding that's held up to humanity or to humanness.
1: Mm-hmm. you know while I was reading this story, I was wondering whether it says something about us that uh, you know that that our culture reacts like this. You know, like uh, like a text that emerged from our culture reacts like this to this story. You know, has this sort of story, whereas the other versions are so like you know clear about punishment for and, and damnation for this, <laughs> for for these deeds. You know, whereas we, I mean, I don't know whether it's, it says something about our own codes. I mean, this is
0: the thought that uh, came to me: whether you know we're more flexible in a sense. Very well said, Manjula. Very well said, indeed. Because you see that the underlying this this unconcern, I want to say, no concern for immorality is actually purusharth, which is one of our ancient principles of you know the the five elements that we all be that Hindus especially are supposed to live by the dharma karma uh, moksha etc. So you, you're familiar with that term, right? Yes, purusharth yes, Okay. Yeah. So a lot of that underpins the Panchtantra and dharma, as you know is actually fluid it depends on each individual status in life you know what age you are what you know who you are as a person like every person plays multiple roles of dharma every day and dharma changes every day depending on the situation right that's what dharma is it's extremely fluid there's no defined there's no um, siloing dharma you cannot say dharma is this dharma is different for each person at different times in life different stages in life right Mm, and so how so that's because it's the Pantantra is underpinned by the ideals of Purushottra. And dharma, of course, and dharma does not tell you this is right or this is wrong. You make your own choices about that, right? Like if I'm I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm an educator, I'm a writer. And for each of my roles, dharma roles, I make my own decision. Yes. I make my own decision about how to behave with my husband, how to behave with my daughter, how not to behave with my, et cetera, et cetera. And nobody can tell me how to behave because these are my dharma roles, yeah. right? I just, yeah. and that's what the Pantantra Tantra is about. It's your dharma. You figure out what you want to do. I'll give you a very good example. So from the fifth uh, tantra, we, you mentioned the tale of the hunchback and the blind man and the and the three-breasted woman. There's another, one of my favorite stories of all time in actually all of Indian folklore is a tale that is ba- based in the Pantantra. Tantra. It's, it's the wheel of greed. It's the last, it's in the last tantra. I think it's the third, second or third story. It's an inbox tale. This leads off to a couple of other stories as well, but it's a simple story about a bunch of friends who to make to make some money because it's remember now uh, artha is also purusharth artha means you know the acquisition of wealth it's it's a part of the duty of of a hindu to make wealth in order to live happily because the Panchatantra is all about living a happy life and and purushartha is all about living a happy life whatever you do live a happy life live a life that is that is a good life that is a rightful life not it's Evil or sin or any of that matter, but a rightful life, the, according to anyway. So these bunch of friends go to another, they, they leave home, these young people, and say, Okay, we need, they need to make some wealth in order to live a good life. And so, um, along the way, they meet somebody, um, that they meet like this saintly guy who says, Okay, go up that mountain, and where I give something to hold in the hand, he says, When this thing drops, that this magical thing drops from your hand, wherever it drops, dig over there, and whatever you find, that's yours. So, these four friends, you know, they start walking up a mountain. When the first a man's thing falls on the on the ground he digs and it's copper and he collects a lot and says hey listen let's take copper wow we'll be wealthy and so like so the other friends say if there's copper there's going to be other metals let's go up another one finds silver and he starts collecting silver and says okay i'm done wow i'm going to go home i'm going to become such a wealthy man with all this silver then there's another one who says who finds gold who's not happy with copper silver and says oh my god i've got there's gold um, if there's silver, there's going to be gold. So he he goes up and he starts digging and he finds gold. And he's like, he's now, his pockets are full of gold. His, his bag is full of gold. And he's like, tells his last friend, hey, listen, let's go. Come take some gold. Let's take the gold and go home. And the last friend says, if there's gold, can you imagine what else there can be? So he continues on. And the friend who finds gold tells him, stop. You know what? Stop, stop. we have enough. Let's go back. That guy says, no, maybe jewels, maybe precious gems. And he goes (laughs) further and he meets another man who's got a wheel in his forehead that's spinning crazily. He's bloodied all over. There's a hole in his forehead because the wheel, this sharp bladed wheel is spinning. And so his blood is flowing down his foot. So this guy says, now, he's hungry and thirsty by this time because he's been climbing up a mountain. So he stops and says, can you tell me if there's any where I can find water? And the wheel from the forehead of the man who had the wheel spinning in his head flies across and goes and situates itself in the in the in the forehead of the man who's looking for uh, for gems and precious jewels. So he the wheel now becomes his wheel. And it, it starts to spin. And now he asks the other man questions saying, oh my God, what just happened to me? The guy says, this is the wheel of greed. I asked the same question to a man uh, who was also seeking something more than gold. And he too got hungry and thirsty. And I, he too asked me, uh, I too asked him if there was any water and that wheel game got stuck in my forehead. I'm free now and I'm done. I'm going home. Now you are stuck with the wheel of greed because your greed would not let you stop at copper, silver or gold. You had to find something else. And yeah. so now this man is complete. That's it. Now his the wheel of the greed is stuck in his forehead. So do you see there's no judgment on what he did was wrong. Yeah. There's nobody saying, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be greedy. We, as you read the story, the idea that you shouldn't be greedy or you shouldn't be seeking more than, more than you, what you, what, what's your lot? It's our own judgment on the story, but the story doesn't tell us what's right or wrong or that he's being punished. The story mm. doesn't even tell us that he's being punished. It doesn't even end on punishment. So his friend who's who found gold said, okay, I'm going to get home. I wish you well. And, you know, um, you have to now bear what you, basically you have to reap what you sowed in, in a sense, he says. <laughs> (laughs) yeah that's it's and it ends there and so there's no you know you don't feel bad for the guy who has the wheel spinning in his head you just sit back and say hmm (laughs) okay that's what green does to you (laughs) yeah
1: so yeah so i mean like this you know unlike i was thinking unlike the jatagas which are more uh more moralistic in a sense so uh no
0: do you want to talk about that because um Oh, absolutely. So, the, uh, oh, yes. So, first of all, the Jatkas, just to let our listeners know, Jatkas, of course, uh, Buddha birth stories. So, his various, various, various um, births and the experiences he had in various life forms, right? So, the Jatkas are obviously based based on that. And because it's the Jatkas are very important texts for Buddhism, and Buddhism, as you know, I mean, as has any uh, ways of life, it's not, it's not a religion, as you know, it's a way of life, as any ethical ways of life the jatkas teach lessons about how to live a life right how to live an ethical life how to live a realized life or how to move towards a realization of life but um and so but the, most of the jatkas even though they tell the stories they are very similar to, it's, the stories are very similar to the Panchatantra. they tell you it should simply hold up a mirror to humanness and saying this is what human frailties and foibles are all about you figure out what you want to do with your life. But this is what happened to the Buddha. Mm-hmm. Because he, he was like, because this is what happened. This is this is how the story played out. This is what happened to the characters in the story and to the Buddha in this, in this, in this birth. Yes. So um, etc. There's also, sadly to say, there's also a lot of misogyny in the jatkas. There are also there are many, which we know. We don't know that that was because we know that there was um there, there was a little bit of I, I shouldn't say a little bit, there was misogyny in, in early Buddhism. And so this this a lot of the stories actually talk about um deceiving women, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and how men should beware of deceiving women. So um there's that dissimilarity between the jatkas and the Panchatantra, but the other the similarity that that is very much present, and actually, a lot of a few of the Jatkas reappear in the Panch Tantra also. Um, and so, yes, and so the holding a mirror up to for humanity—that's exactly what the Panch Tantra has taken from the Jatka stories. Um, the Buddhist Jataka's uh, Buddha's previous um, birth, there's birth stories, his previous birth, lifetimes. Many of them animal, which is which is a similarity to the Panch Tantra. But different from the Panchatantra, it it actually um, there is the underpinning of the of the Jatkas are actually values of Buddhism yes. in right thought, right speech, just like just like the underpinning of the Mahab- of the Tantra, to quite an extent is Purushad. The Jatkas are underpinned by you know the eightfold um, elements, values of, of Buddhism, you know mindfulness and all of that. But the and and it does hold up a mirror as the punch Santra does but there's more significance to them so the I want to say more moral even the more morality is probably not the right word because it's really the right way to live right it's not morality is a very Western construct yeah. it's really it's the right way to live so the right the eightfold rightful path basically and there's a predominance of it unlike the panchitanta where the, the purshant is only is there you can detect elements of it but there isn't a predominance of it it's not overpowering on the story the jatkas on the other hand they're this this element of the of the rightful way to live is overpowering and one of the things that I think uh, distinguishes the pantantra from the jatkas is actually the element of misogyny which is present in the Pantantra, but it's not Not so much as beware of deceiving women as it is in the Jatkas. Um, So, for example, two of the stories in the Pantantra are actually from two Jatkas. One is the frame story, actually, of the fourth Tantra, which is... um, loss of acquired gains Pranasham. Mm-hmm. and the frame story is everybody knows this we all read it as we were children the monkey and the crocodile story the okay. monkey and the crocodile have okay. become friends yes. and then the crocodile's wife hears about it and she says oh my god he eats such sweet jamun I, his heart is probably as sweet as the jamun I want to eat as heart and so the crocodile then tries to deceive the monkey and mm-hmm. takes him in the water saying I'm going to take you home as a guest and then tries to drown him so that he can eat his heart and then the monkey says oh Wait, but my heart is hanging on the tree. So take me back to the tree so I can get you my heart. And then as soon as he gets to the tree, he of course he escapes the crocodile and tells him, You think I'm an idiot? I'm gonna go with you to your home. <laughs> Does anybody's heart live on a tree? Would I be alive if my heart were not in my body? In any case. So the whole idea behind the the story also quite a bit is is literally the monkey telling the crocodile, what kind of a male are you that you're listening to your wife? She's leading you down the wrong path. And as a result of that, you've lost your friend because it is, the tantra is based on the loss of acquisition, you know, loss of something beloved. And you've lost our friendship. You're going to lose much more because you're listening to a woman. And so, you know, that this is what happens to, when when you listen to a woman. So watch out. So it's actually based on a jatka. It's the Sasumar Jatka, which and the frame story. And there's another story in there, which I think is actually quite fascinating, which is also based on a jatka. It and it's it's um it's called the, it's the Chula Padma, in which the buddha is born as a prince who is who loves his wife very very much so much so that one day they are on the way out because of some internal um, conflict in the family he decides to leave his family with his wife takes the wife out and the wife dies by acts by by some chance of fate wife dies and he's so but me he's so um dejected that he prays to the god and says please give her back his life so God says okay fine we'll give her back his life but half your life will become you or your life will become our life so she live half your life And he says, I'm happy. I'm happy to give her up my life. And then he and then they start as they progress further. The wife then takes a, a cripple as a lover and tries to drown her husband. Hmm. and um, and then a whole bunch of things happen etc they separate ways and you know the 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 drowned buddha is is saved and the crippled woman somehow end up in the same city again but uh, in a different sort of way and what is ironic is now obviously the 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 woman has taken the the cripple as a lover and the cripple is constantly riding on her now because he can't walk so can you imagine do you you see the metaphor of that so he's constantly riding and and that's what you know she tells the king of the nation that so she tells everybody this is this cripple is my husband and i because i'm his wife and i'm such a caring considering wife i carry him on my back because he can't walk and then the buddha ends up in that same place also and through various um, manipulations of the story ultimately the buddha and the woman come face to face and he wishes and then he says um he takes his half-life back and the woman dies and so you know this he's like basically she's punished she's punished for for deceiving the buddha or deceiving this past, this past Buddha, which is um, it's this. So this is the story also, and the same story appears in the same sort of moralistic way in the Panchatantra, with a little bit more. The elements are a little because the Panchatantra is funny. So there's actually, you know, there's humor in the story also. I does it, it doesn't sound humorous, does it? It's a really it's a scary story. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm saying there's a
1: lot of humor in the Panchatantra. I
0: mean, there are oh, yes.
1: points in the story Sorry, I... you
0: really laugh out loud. You know. I'm sorry. I miss her. You absolutely right. I think it is so funny. And there's so much lovely, beautiful satire. I talk about when I say satire, I wanted to say the word satire. There's so much satire. So when I say that there's a, you know, there, some of the misogyny, of course, does appear in in, in then we can't get away from that. That was society. However, when I say satire, I think that this the Pantantra breaks all norms of showing misogyny by actually spinning it on its head. It literally spins misogyny on it, says its Fantastic! I mean, look at this. It's set in a city called Mahila Ropia, which means attributes of beautiful women, right? And the whole thing is set. it's supposed to be an educational book for like young princes to to learn morality and kingship and values, and it's set in a city. Which are which is which literally means attributes of beautiful woman, right? Mahila Ropia, and so the whole the the, the, the the scholastic element of it is set in the city of women. That's the first piece of satire in there. It's yeah. it's so and and you you hear about this, you hear this satire, you literally hear it in the way that the verses are written in the way that the stories suddenly twist to give you a sense of and then it you know it's it's not in your face that's the fun part so right manjula it's not in your face funny it's not ah funny it's like wow oh my god that is so humorous funny that's that kind of funny right yeah and so i and i and i think that if you can get that from the i think that's really if i from my book if you can get that humor i've done my job (laughs) Whether you read the whole book or not, if you get that sense of that beautiful, subtle, tongue-in-cheek humor, I think amazing.
1: (laughs) I found that story also very funny where this where where this uh, I think he's a weaver who takes you know his his friend builds him this garuda and he takes on the form of Vishnu because he he's a he, he wants to sleep with that princess and he flies in and she thinks he's Vishnu and they have this roaring affair it's hilarious the whole thing <laughs> and in the end how you know how he actually i mean how Vishnu also says, Oh God, now if he's uh, defeated, then they stop believing in me. And so he helps him on. I, it's, that's a
0: great story. You know? It's- isn't it? I mean, literally, this list, all our lives, all our lives, I remember my mother telling me this, if you help yourself, God will help you, right? I'm sure you've heard that. We, we, and we tell our children, this, we tell our grandchildren, we've got a grandchild now when he grows, he's two. But as soon as he's able to understand, I'm going to start telling him, you've got to help yourself. If you help yourself, you know, you and the other elements of nature will help you. So this is what it is, then what the story you're talking about is there's a guy who does have an affair and then thinks and pretends to be Vishnu. She thinks he's Vishnu. You're absolutely right. And Vishnu has to help him in the end. Otherwise, if he dies, people are gonna believe Vishnu. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I, you're right I love that's a really fantastic story as well it's exactly. really it's that's the theme of it you know yeah. it you you've got to do the work karma is most important you can't just sit back and say fate is if I if it's in my fate yeah. to to achieve this I'm going to achieve it if mm-hmm. it's not in my fate I won't achieve it. the point is fate is not going to act on its own yeah. you've got to make your own fate you've got to get up and do the action yes. in order for things to work in your favor or to work against you, you the way but you've got sure. to do the action right
1: yeah and all these fantastic elements like like his friend building making this flying bird garuda for him i mean it was so uh, i read that but I was thinking wow
0: it's really so modern you know in a sense So sure. <laughs> you know you're you're so actually you you've touched upon some very wonderful historical element of the panitantra so believe it or not it is and it's so modern this technology it's technological right so, this technology actually existed. So, they were uh, not just in India, they were actually experimenting with flying objects through these machines. Mm-hmm. these flying the, these machines that could make things fly all the way in china and greece yeah. so there was a lot of foreign influence on and not just in india it was across culture right they were travelers traveling from one part of the world to another so many sea routes right and so and they were telling these tales to each other from their own lands which sound like really tall tales but they had they were bringing so for example the indian the indian merchants were hearing merchants from greece and in china talk about mechanical birds yeah. it wasn't just a story it was actually happening they were actually making mechanical birds mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: fantastic so all
1: that comes into the stories so um but uh, how long did it take you to
0: put this together to work on this particular project and you know how did you break it up on the point Tantra, right you uh, talk about this particular yes, book yes. um You know, as I mentioned to you, I've been taking from the Panjshantra for for many of my past books because you can't escape it. You literally can't escape it. So already the project was forming in my head. I want to say, I don't even know, five years ago. So it was forming in my head and I was like, I've got to come. I've really got to come to the point where I can start retelling the panchatantra But when I sat down to doing it, literally like when I sat at my desk and said, hey, OK, now in a focused manner, this concentrated writing, I would say uh, eh, about about a year. Okay. So it's, you know, it's the it's the readings of various versions because it's got so many versions and you want to make sure. So my effort always when I'm retelling something is to not just tell one version. Hmm. And I, 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 because I, I feel, I'm ve- I feel it's a very Indian, it's the Indianness in me, because all these stories before they became written, literature were oral stories and oral yes. stories as, you know, oral culture, oral traditions, extremely fluid. They keep borrowing from, you know, one story. And let's say I am from Simla, in Simla or in Himachal Pradesh or in the mountains would have been, would take on a completely different shape, let's say in South Indian Kerala, right? Yes. As a result of the various elements of the changes, even in geographical elements, social elements. So the stories themselves are fluid and they keep and more and more stories keep adding to this whole, let's say, one text. So something's called something, the Panch Tantra. Stories keep adding to Panch Tantra. Panch Tantra maybe started off with these many stories and then it grew into these many stories. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is how I want to retell my books. I don't want to just tell one version and say, okay, this is the Panch Tantra because it isn't. The tradition of the Panch Tantra is so vast. So I try to bring in as much as I can. So I'll read various versions. That's my first, that's how I begin. I read various versions. I take notes for various versions. I'll do research on the various versions to see, you know, how they, are the, how they, the the earlier retellers retold what what they took from what kind of research they did. Once I have my own version in my head and in my notes, then I start taking, then I start translating and retelling. So the first, then the second process is translation, and third process is then I retell the whole story in my own words and the way that I see it. And then all of the notes that I've taken on the research actually help. So they just they simply they're what what um, butter is it. So it's buttressed between the research and my notes, and of course the various versions. So it takes it takes some time. So the retelling itself doesn't take long. It's the research that takes long. So the research, I I would say, it started some a few years ago, but very focused and concentrated work. I would say about a year.
1: So why did you choose? Uh, you know, you um, you explain in your in the
0: introduction, I think, where you say
1: that you chose you know, the specific version from of the acharyas. I mean, I don't know what it's called. Uh, but you
0: chose yeah, right. that one, and you also drew a lot from uh, the Kali uh, Kale's version, right? Yes, I love Mr. Kale's version. Yeah, um, it's um so I t- the many there um two may- in India. I won't talk about the other Western Western traditions. There are two. There are about twenty five versions in India, official versions. But okay. two of the traditions are considered the most The most I want to say a- academic, scholarly. Let's say, or maybe the most credible. Maybe that's a better word. The most credible. One is the Southern ascension, which actually is the most popular. It's the smaller version of the panchantra And I think there are about 75 tales. And then the, there's the Northwestern tradition, which is also called the Kashmiri tradition because there was a Jain monk in Kashmir who, who retold the story, uh, who retold the, all the stories, maybe brought in a whole some other, other stories that were not a part of the earlier version. Uh, his name was name was Padra Suri. So it's also called the Bhadra tradition because we have a date for him. Um, he was born in 1199 CE. Okay. Therefore, it's considered a credible version because we know who he was. For others, other retellers, uh, ancient retailers, we don't know who they were. Yeah. The point the, we don't know whether Vishnu Sharma was yes. even existed, yes. right? Because it could in like Vyas, Vyasa, of the Mahabharata, who was probably not just one Brahmin scholar telling the yeah. story. Yeah. Yas was the name for this, you know, etc. For this whole whole um, um team of scholars or team, not even team, community of storytellers, mm-hmm. basically. sharma could have been Generation exactly, and so um the, the the same with Western cultures also. I mean, we don't know whether Homer existed or not. Homer could have been just the name for this, you know, these oh, these, these tellers story. of stories, these bards, exactly. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, anyway. So back to um sorry, let's get back to the original original question of um of um, Oh, pardon, Purnabhadrasuri. So Purnabhadrasuri is the one person who actually wrote his, it's, it's in record, it's an historical record. So therefore, it's considered the most credible uh, retelling of the Panch And we know who he was, we know how he, who he lived, where he lived, how he lived, and etc. Et so it's, ve- it's a long version. So my retelling is based quite a bit on, quite a bit, I want to say on translate, on a retelling. But I've also included. So there's a there was a German scholar who uh, translated Punbhad Suri's version. I think in 1915, 20th century German scholar. Since he was a Sanskritologist, and so um, and that version became part of the Harvard uh, Oriental Series also. So I definitely looked at that. But one of the key um, retellers that I looked at tellings that I looked at was M. R. Kale, who, by the way, in, he was an Indian scholar that contemporary to Hurdle and. His version is not considered a credible version by many, quote unquote, Western scholars, mostly because he does not adhere to just Poon Badrasuri or to the Southern recension. He's brought in other stories, which I think is actually enriches any tradition, which is what Indian tradition is all about. Yeah. Right. And we keep bringing in stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's why. And so the, the, the retellings that I used. By these two Acharya, um, son and father and son team, uh, two, two reasons I used it. Number one, because I, this, it's, it's, there's a lot of the, um, their influence. I want to say influence. The retelling is influenced by Mr. Kale. And uh, I want to give him credibility because I truly believe that's how, um, the Pantantra tradition, uh, formed. And number two, I read Sanskrit. I can translate Sanskrit, but it's laborious for me. It takes me a while. I have to use a couple of dictionaries. And so, you know, something that I can translate, let's say from, so my my ideal reading is Hindi. So if I can read the Hindi version, I try to stay away from the English versions, because first of all, you know, the way that I tell my story, because I write in English. So the way that I tell my story in English is going to be quite a bit different from, let's say, another English writer. And I don't want somebody else's words to be playing in my head as I'm forming my own retellings. So a better version for me is the Hindi version. Um, I can read Sanskrit. If I don't have Hindi, I'll read Sanskrit. It just takes me much longer to do it. So what the version that I used there's my ideal version. I love it when I can find a text like that. It has the Sanskrit and then it's got the Hindi translations. So I can, I look at the Hindi translations and then believe me, it happens very often. If I'm reading the Hindi translation and there's something that doesn't sit right with me, you know, there's not, something that's that's maybe not, it just feels like it's the, the translation is incorrect or it's incongruous completely. Something, you know, there's a little dip. Then I can go to the Sanskrit itself and say, wait a second, what went wrong here? And occasionally, Things that the, I do find by places, even in the Acharya's uh, retelling, the places where I've gone to the original Sanskrit and said, "Let me do my own translation here," and I've come up, I think, with the better um, version of that particular story. And so, yes, yeah, so that's the version. It's um, lovely. I've I really well, well told in Hindi. And also another, another very wonderful factor with these, um, with this version was that there are some some cultural elements that I was not even familiar with. Um, Some historical so for example, I'll tell you the story of the woman who tries to sell the Hull seeds. I don't know if you've gotten to that place or not. So there's a woman who um, is trying to, um, so she's... um, she, uh, her husband's a Brahmin and is a very, very poor Brahmin. And but then there's a chaturmasa, there's a fast that happens, and he wants his wife to make some food and give it to the to another Brahmin, and they have no yes, food. Yes, so yes, she, all yes. she has is seeds, right? She has sesame seeds, and so she, she, she holds them and she tries to put them out to dry. And a dog pees on the seeds, <laughs> and now she doesn't know what to do, right? See, there you go, humor again. So, what she does is. So she comes up with this fantastic, fantastic um uh, way to, to to make food for the for the Brahmin that she's supposed to be. She goes out into the street and she says, "Hey, listen, these seeds are already hulled and they're ground. I'll sell these to you for unhulled seeds and unground seeds. So t- you know, you half your work is done. So whoever wants to exchange this, and there's a woman in the in the street, there's a neighbor who says, "Oh, wow, that's half my work done. All right, I'll buy the seeds." <laughs> i mean would not you say it's like oh my god she's done half my work so then her son who's reading actually a shastra niti shastra tells her wait 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 there's something there's a trick here (laughs) stop don't buy them there's the catch let's let's find out the catch and ultimately of course she can't sell us But there's the, so I didn't know what the Chaturmasya fast was. I had to do my research on it. And there were wonderful notes in the Acharya version, which told me where to go for my research. Because I needed to know, you know, why is this, you know, what is the significance of the fast? So it isn't just the story, this whole cultural context, which actually I think is quite often missing in the Western retellings. This cultural context is so important because this is where the wealth of the story is. Mm -hmm. So I have this is what my research also I have to make sure that I have all everything that's in the story I know where it's coming from what the context was what the you know the sociological elements were before I start writing it may not you know be a part of the story but it gives the story that that richness that it needs. Right.
1: And you know, what I also found about the stories was, I mean, you you know, we tend to think of um, often as modern Indians, we tend to think of ancient India as a, you know a, a casteist place where everybody was in their own box and you know uh somebody who was in a lower caste was downtrodden and you know all that you know we have these notions which are probably true in the largest you know in the main but this story about how you know that man insults the sweeper who comes for his daughter's wedding and the the the, the revenge that this man wreaks on him <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean, I felt sorry for it, but I also laughed. So, was him right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> now the sweeper teaches him the lesson of his life. You know, so all those things were so they're so contemporary and eternal at the same time, right? You know, and teaches you
0: not You're... such a. Yeah, Absolutely, You're so absolutely right. And what a wonderful story that is! What a wonderful story, <laughs> and c- cannot be ignored. But no, I, so I won't. I won't tell the story. I really want the listeners to read that story because if I give away, because there's that little, there's you know, that's it's it's the punchline is in the story. And if I give away the punchline, I want the I want the listeners and the readers to to find out that punchline for themselves. But what I do want to what I want to do want to address is your your comment on the on the caste system. So what is interesting is that many of our ancient, especially folklore, not I won't talk about myths, I'm talking about folklore, is actually so the Brahmins are actually not important at all. Yeah. The kings are not important. In fact, the kings are are shown as, as shown with all the, in all the humanness, the raw humanness of being yeah. arrogant yeah. and being lofty and being, you know, un, unjustful and all of that. It's really the merchant class that's addressed in a, many of these ancient folklore. So it's the merchants. Right. Of course, one reason for that also was that because there was the tra- most of the trading, trading was ha- happened. Most of the stories came from these trading posts where t- merchants from all over the world were trading stories. Therefore, yeah. a lot of folklore developed from there. So that's one reason why. But the let's give it a name. The Wester cast was yeah. is featured in many of these stories. So it's the merchants that are that. And we, the so merchants were in between. See the Brahmins, we have the Kshatriyas, we have the Vaishans, and the Sudras. So we don't have. So there isn't a there isn't very much on this about the Sudras. There's some Brahmins we have who are also shown in their raw humanness. They're not shown as this higher caste. And the kings, of course, are also um you know uh, are subject to to human foibles. It's the merchant class that's predominant. And because it's the this class in the middle, which is you know neither lofty. Nor is it the low cost? It's most acceptable to most people. Yes. It's, it's these are these stories become acceptable, right? We all relate to them, yeah. and and it's and also remember purusharth. So the underlying principle of the upanishad is is purusharth, and earth is such a big factor. Yes, so money, right? The money to make the money to be happy. Yeah. Happiness is important, and you can't be happy unless you have money. Yeah. So Earth is such an important element, and since the merchants were most involved with the element of uh, the fact of Earth, therefore the the merchants were the were, were were important. And you know what's also what's another, and I this is probably a little bit of, it's it's peripheral to the cost, to the to the caste system. But when I early on in the conversation when I talked about the parallel world of the animal world and the and the human world, they both yes. appear. In fulfillment, they are in 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 um wholeheartedly. So there's a fulfilled animal world, there's a fulfilled um human world. Yes. Uh, and so in in both the worlds, everything that happens in the human world happens in both the world. They're oppressors in both worlds, such as the king's depression in the in the jungle, etc. And they're oppressors in the human world, the kings and the brahmins are oppressors in the human world. But even but the but the but the oppressors more than the kings and the lions are actually humans. Believe it or not, in both the worlds, it's just human. So the fowlers, the fishermen, these merchants or these traders or these tradesmen who prey on other animals and lower beings. Because remember, the Kshatriya was oh, sorry, the Veshya was also the moneylender.
1: Yes, so the
0: moneylender was preying. So it's the the actual oppressor in in the animal world. Are the fishers and the fowlers and the actual oppressor in the human world are, you know, very often the money lenders because people were losing their wealth to the to these to these uh, to these 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 characters. So it isn't so much the caste system is not at all to, to answer that part of your question. There is no there is you can, if you want to get, if you, if anybody's looking for how the caste system plays out in the Pajtanta stories, but the person will be sadly disappointed. Yeah. It really does not, it, it pays no attention at all to the caste system.
1: Yes, yes. And there's no, I mean, there's no consciousness uh, of it at all. And
0: no. Thing which,
1: I, which I found fantastic with these little, the, you know, going from prose to verse, you know, and some of the yes some of them i mean like some of them are so ephoristic and you know you can really use them in your in your life as well like the one about milkweed and you know all these little ones like, those little verses and i was wondering and you mentioned that you uh you know you 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 thought about how to do it but um it must have been difficult no getting it from Sanskrit and
0: Hindi into English oh you mean as I was as I was working at oh yeah that was probably you're absolutely right that was probably the most difficult part of that that was the most daunting and challenging to translate the verse into into English that reads well still sounds like verse and still um tells the exact story so it doesn't move too much away from the from what the what the original is trying to do so the the style you're talking about is champu. Yeah, Jampu yeah. was probably um, prevalent, I'd, I'd say about between the 2nd and 10th century. Lots of ancient literature used it. It was a way of transitioning from verse to uh, making it more, just all in the interest of making the story more, more accessible. Think about it in terms of bards. Remember these, these these travelers, these travelers who were singing and telling stories from town to town. This is how stories proliferated, right? They went from, from uh, in oral tradition, people told stories that, you know, when they were sitting down together, let's say, at a bar, Somebody's telling stories, right? The easiest way to remember something is in verse, actually. So, if you have something that, especially something that rhymes, it's we we all of us grew up on nursery rhymes that rhymed, then how quickly they became a part of our memory, right? Yeah. So, um, the best way to memorize something is through verse. That's that's where Champu grew. So, Champu is a combination of, of prose and verse. It became a very used style in writing as well, not just in, in oral tradition, but in writing also. Many, many scholars were using it. Panchantra uses it beautifully and elaborately so the story and the dialogue is written in store in um in prose and these beautiful aphorisms and maxims and and advice is is written in verse and so it's and it's and one flows into the other there is no did you that's the that's the brilliance of the book that you don't get jerked into one and then jerked out of it into it so just like becomes like a natural the the language just moves naturally and that was my attempt in, in trying to do it that the language should move naturally translation from it does not translating poetry is i think one of the most challenging things in the world in any case yeah. and then when you're trying to translate something that's in Champu style in, in english you lose a lot in translation so this unfortunately this isn't so i while the prose i try to remain as true to the prose as possible in the verse i had to deviate just a little bit just to make sure that my main concern was that the reader should not feel jerks while reading it's like oh now suddenly I'm in prose, and now suddenly I'm everything should just flow, just like it does in the original. I mean, if you could read the, I mean, not that we have the original, but whatever versions we had, they'll flow. The verse, prose, and verse just flow together.
1: Yeah, no, and I mean,
0: what lovely I, advice. I'm sorry, okay. go ahead, please.
1: No, uh, I said I didn't find it jerky at all. In fact, I found it, you know, quite an enriching. Actually, some of the the verse, you know, I I mean. And some of them were funnier, of course. Like this
0: so one, no one can see the anal hole of the peacock. And let me—I was going to thank you. I was just going to pull that out and see if I can find that verse. I think. And look, my God! Look at the meaning of it when you think about it. It's just like, oh my God! Yes. Those are those people who boast, keep boasting about, you know, their own accomplishments okay. without realizing what it is that they are revealing to the world. <laughs> so let me see. I, you know, I, let's see, oh there, I think there it is. I'm sorry. I just got my by the way, I just got my copy okay, of the book today. Okay, okay. so I'm really excited to hold it in my hand. Um <laughs> uh, there we go. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna read yeah, this yeah, three please. line this three yeah. line verse. Yeah. Um it's uh it's from the it's from the first tantra, Mitra Bhed. Um, no one can see the anal hole of the peacock <laughs> until he himself, lost in the music of rain, foolishly lifts his tail and begins to dance.
1: <laughs> it's so hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> boys, right? like stopped and laughed. <laughs> you know? really yes, really well done. This like this is the humor of and, and you know, you said at the beginning of, of our conversation. This book is, of course, children. It's it's for all ages, but it is not just for children. Imagine the beauty of it from an adult perspective, right? From from a grown-up perspective. When you're reading stuff such as this, it literally does make you sit back and reevaluate your whole life and all those times in where maybe you have acted this way
1: yes
0: maybe i need to rethink you know it's do you understand that yes. i mean sure for ch- these stories are lovely for children but it really is not just for children it's yes. really a, a book for grown ups and i think all re- all um, bunch of them, the retellings that happen from now on should actually have the word bunchanthra for adults but then i fear that people are going to think that for adults means you know something more than more than just grown up it means maybe adult literature exactly (laughs) something but i really feel that as though we should that word should so that people can get away from this i don't know when that set in that is just for children i don't know when that that understanding came to be that Panchantra is just for children maybe because there were a lot of children because the stories are so good for children yeah. Maybe, but I—I I mean, even in my lifetime, I don't remember reading it as a grown-up. Even in my lifetime, and I'm an old yes. woman, I remember reading it as children's tales.
1: Yeah,
0: so and, it must have happened.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know, children won't get as much out of it. I mean, they—they they see all these, you know, uh, I don't know, the lion and the uh, the bull and all that, and you know, uh, what happens, and they see it at that level. But as an adult reader it's so much more layered right so you get a lot out of it and actually you can i mean you get insights into your own life and like you said you know in your into your own behavior and especially that two-headed bird and when i read that i was thinking wow you know i mean it's really telling me something it's you know you're constantly and how, how individuals are constantly i mean for me the, i i took it at a very really psychological level you know in being split in your own head <laughs> you know and how it can have consequences you know and i'm sure yeah. other people see other things like when you were
0: talking about you know, you were talking about it's something a, it's a very powerful story i complete it's a short 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 story, short story. one of the shortest stories and it was not so we don't know and just to give you a little background on that story we don't know whether it was part of the original Panchatantra or not Mm -hmm. um, since we don't have the original Panchatantra but so many of the Indian versions don't have so it's one of the last it's the second last story many of the Panchatantra versions do not have the story of the two Burunda birds Mm -hmm. Um, I I may have mentioned earlier in the conversation that that is actually a story from the Upanishads it's actually from Mundak and actually two Upanishads have Mundak and Chandogya and two different versions of the Burunda birds Um, and, um, it's a very very short story and you're right it's like one bird is in 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 the story that we're talking about is that of course you know the one bird is refuses to share something wonderful with the other head they're one bird with two heads and then ultimately the um the the the, the head that does not get this good thing that the other head was eating he finds poison and he says i'm going to eat it and the other head says stop you don't know what you're doing it's going to go into the same stomach right but the but the other the other head says you know what i'm going to eat it you didn't share that with me when it was good and now you know you're telling me to stop sharing that if you don't it's since we are two heads with one body we are going to share and share alike and ultimately you know of course it's so he takes the poison it is you're right it we, i think this is a story that all of us can relate to. It, it's yeah. such a powerful story and it, it does tell a lesson i mean all these story tell a lesson we just we just have to be able to receive it it's not it doesn't hit us in the face with the lesson we have to be we have to be in the right state of mind to receive the lesson yes. we have to allow ourselves to receive these lessons and you what you said that you reevaluated what you think how you think i think this is what these stories force us to do these all these stories with all these thematic elements these various themes of of humanness they make us sit back and want us to reevaluate our life and say wait a second am i doing this could i be doing something different It's and at all ages, not just little children, but at all ages. So they make us want to reevaluate our life. They make us look at look into ourselves and see what it is that makes us human and what we can do better to ultimately live a better life. Really, that's the purpose of it. To live a happier, better, more fulfilled life. Really, that's what the Pantantra is about. Live a more fulfilled life. And here are ways that you can do it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay great so you know Meena I could keep on talking to you about this wonderful book the Panchatantra your wonderful retelling of it I really find it a great uh, you know and I'm going to like keep on reading it and as you know reading it aloud with my family as well so for the listeners go out and get the Panchatantra of Vishnu Sharma a retelling by Meena Arora Naik it's 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 a it's a wonderful wonderful book and you will get a lot of out of it so thank you so much Meena for talking to me.
0: Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you, Manjula. Bye, everybody. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.